Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. We help leaders identify disruptive trends and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations into industry leaders. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on innovating how you lead and transforming your organization. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. I am delighted that today we have Mark Kwame here. Mark is the co-founder and partner at Drive Capital, a Midwest venture capital firm based in Columbus, Ohio. Mark was chairman and CEO of CKS, a NASDAQ-listed advertising agency that pioneered new advertising strategies by integrating marketing and technology. CKS helped launch Yahoo, Excite, eBay, Amazon, as well as helping companies like GM, MCI, Apple, McDonald's, and many others. In 2011, Mark was appointed director of the Ohio Department of Development by Governor Kasich to help implement a policy agenda to create jobs and boost the economy by reviving the state of Ohio's ailing economic development efforts. Mark has a BA in French literature and economics from the University of California at Berkeley, and he's now living in Columbus, Ohio. My goal with these shows is to help leaders and aspiring leaders take on new behaviors and change your mindsets on a regular basis so that as we are metabolizing the volume of change we're seeing in our economy right now, you will be prepared. And Mark is the person who's going to talk about disruption. So business disruptions are occurring every day for entire business segments. Effective organizations are looking ahead to lead the disruptive efforts to set the new market. If you're not disrupting, you will get disrupted. Mark will talk about how he works with organizations to identify opportunities to be the disruptor rather than the disrupted. So Mark, welcome. Why don't you give us a little bit more about yourself and then we'll step into segment one talking about business disruptions. Thank you very much for having me here today. It's a, it's a great pleasure. I've been very fortunate. I've lived a, a charmed life. I grew up in Silicon Valley. My parents are uh, native San Franciscans, and my, my father was one of the founders of National Semiconductor, which was one of the early chip companies. He's considered one of the fathers of Silicon Valley, one of the 20 or 30 fellows who did that. I was able to work, I'll never forget one day, driving to church, and I asked my dad, I said, who would name their company Apple Computer? What a strange name. So anyway, <laughs> I, I became... Uh, uh, I started working at Apple at age 19, you know, in 1980, two and a half, three years after their creation. And actually, I was two, two or three uh, cubes down from Steve Wozniak. But anyway, so I was able to do all that and several different things, including starting CKS and taking that public. And then when we sold CKS, I joined Sequoia Capital. Sequoia is an amazing venture capital firm where if you actually today, my understanding is if you looked at the companies where Sequoia was the founding VC, it's now about 25 or 27% of the total NASDAQ. Wow. Uh, when you do companies like Apple and Oracle and Google and, you know, you name a thousand more, it's, it's pretty special. Anyway, as you said, I'm, I, I was very happy at, uh, at Sequoia. I led the investments in LinkedIn and, and several other companies. And then my buddy becomes governor of Ohio and asks me to come out here for six months to help him reorganize economic development for the state of Ohio. And I hadn't done any public service, so I thought it was time to do some. That was almost eight and a half years ago, and, and I'm still <laughs> here. So it's, I, it's been really fun for me because I, I grew up in the, in the world of disruption, which is the Silicon Valley. And now disruption is basically touching all parts of, of uh of corporate America, the, the corporate enterprise around the world and, and all industries. 
You know, I grew up in D.C. and came to Columbus also for six months with PwC years ago. And I left and I'm back as well. And it's it is a very different place than it was in 1989. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> it's been a different place in the last eight years. I came here in 2011. It's been significantly changed as well. And the theme of disruption is one that could be considered for our state. So give the listeners some real-world examples of business disruptions where you were involved and the effects that those caused on the market. I've been very fortunate. At a very early age, I, I mentioned when I was 19, I started at Apple. I remember unpacking my Apple II Plus, and I was going to school full-time at Berkeley at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember going back to uh, Berkeley, talking to my student friends. I said, guys, no, no more no more typewriters very soon. I said, it's five years. We'll all be using personal computers. And they're going, what? No typewriters? That's crazy. And so, you know, the beginning of that whole technological personal revolution is I saw that. Probably the, the most, the, the, a couple that come to mind. I'll never forget a couple different things. One is when I started CKS, I was giving a lot of talks. We were the first one of the digital agencies. Mm-hmm. And one time I was asked in, in the late 98, 97, 98, 99, I was asked to give a talk in front of the National Newspaper Association. Okay. And I sat down with them and I said, guys, your business is in a world of hurt and you don't know it. eBay is going to take away your classifieds. Yahoo's going to take away your finance and you know so on and mm-hmm. so forth. CBS had had this uh, sports center kind of growing sports thing that you're going to take away your, your local sports. And pretty soon, no one's going to be reading newspapers. In fact, I, I predicted five years. I was wrong. It was 15 years. But basically, you, you see these things. One thing I've always learned in my business in, of disruption, I've been pretty accurate in forecasting disruption. It's just taken, it always takes longer than I think it's going to mm-hmm. take. And so that, that's one example. There's many, many other examples. I remember I was fortunate enough to work a lot with Steve Jobs. And I remember in 1992, sitting next to a Next workstation with Steve showing me the beginnings of the Internet. This is the Internet before the browser. This is the, it, was, it was still kind of going from ARPANET to Internet. I was a Unisys at that point. Yes. So, it, so very similar early on pre-email for sure. Oh, yeah, pre-all that. I mean, there was local area network email, mm-hmm. but very, very little. And I going and I'll never because I studied in France because mm-hmm. you know as you know I have French literature degree but I also studied in, in Norway and I, the only people that had sites if you will were folks that were universities and you know mm-hmm. the internet was very small it was mainly just university research I remember traveling you know digitally to see the University of Sorbonne and going to mm-hmm. Blender University and going oh my gosh this changes everything we could actually put all knowledge to where anybody could access it. You know, that was when CompuServe was big, AOL was big, but it was all in these closed communities. Mm-hmm. Just imagine anybody can have access to all this information. And then, you know, Mark Andreessen inv- invents the web browser and, and the rest is history. It's amazing to have been at the nexus of all of, or much of that at oh. that point in time. I was at Wang Labs when, when we started using email mm-hmm. and online catalogs and things. And it was a similar sense that everything changed. Absolutely. And now we are here with my phone and yours has what more information than President Clinton had when he was running the country. Absolutely. So let me ask you, because I'm sure you have the stats, or I assume you do, what's the rate of change from now over the next 10 or 15 years? What will that, because we're talking 90s to 2020, what happened with, you know, we were looking at 
the Department of the Navy buying computers and they wanted a gigabyte of storage and we thought that was ridiculous for the Navy. Yep. And now my phone has how much? It has a, a lot more than that. <laughs> you can buy terabyte <laughs> chips that can fit on the top of your, your fingernails. Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a couple studies. I mean, there's a couple ways of looking at it. Basically, the rate of change is accelerating. So, you know, it took... 10, 15 years for 30% of the population to have personal computers. It took 10 years for them to have cell phones. It took them five years to have, you know, a smartphone. It's actually, it's actually increasing very, very rapidly for a couple of different reasons. One, this, you know, you were talking, man, I remember when I got my first Apple II, it was 1980, it was a 64K, that's 64,000, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, uh, bytes of memory. Uh, 144,000 bytes on my hard drive and an (laughs) 8-bit microprocessor. I'm now carrying in my pocket a 64-bit, 8-core, 300-gigabyte. It's just crazy what's in this Mm -hmm. powerful thing. And it's actually, you were talking about, you know, why I came to Ohio is John Kasich. And I'll never forget, 1998, he came to my offices when I was still at CKS. And he says, Mark, what's going to be the thing of the future? And you got to remember, 1998, we, we, we had flip phones. You know, no mm-hmm. one was texting. There was none of that mm-hmm. stuff. I said, the future is the constantly connected consumer. And you think about it today, when we hold these iPhones or Android phones, and our, I mean, we are constantly connected. Sometimes many people think we're too connected. In fact, you know, I can, mm-hmm. I can now open this thing up and I can get, you know, today I've, my screen time has been, you know, five hours, no, three hours and 18 minutes. And that's yeah. on your phone. That's just my that's phone. That's not your laptop. Exactly. And so you think about it, I am always on. And mm-hmm. I think what's happened is, is that that disruption is now creeping into everything every business every i mean think about netflix didn't exist 10 years ago you know it's crazy what's happened well and i i'm working with clients in the cancer space and the use of lasers now Mm -hmm. and the healing power of a laser that they're buying particle accelerators at osu to do instead of radiation and chemo they'll inject protons or electrons depending on the kind of cancer and the fall-off rate is almost nothing so they're not burning through their faces they won't need the prosthetic ears and noses anymore the type of healing possible now we haven't even talked about genetic modifications and those things no, but that's all based on computer technology because what you're basically doing is figuring out ways to organize bits, to organize information. Sometimes it's light information. I mean, lasers would not exist without digital technology, whatever it happens to be. And so the, the fun part right now is we have been accelerating in disruption. I fundamentally believe, I've been doing this for 40 years, I have seen an unbelievable amount of disruption. I truly think the amount of disruption I see in the next five years, and we can talk about mm-hmm. it in a, in a further segment, it's going to make the last 40 years seem like nothing. So in that vein, what happens to businesses that aren't proactive? with? If I'm not disrupting, I'm getting disrupted. Can you give some examples of companies you've seen? One would be, you know, the whole Netflix. Right. That that's now a term. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I mean, there's there's a ton. I mean, the the, the most the, the easiest example to, that I saw because I was at Apple at the time. You know, people forget that Kodak created the digital camera, mm-hmm. but their whole business model was based on you know making film, mm-hmm. you know, the chemicals and everything yeah. around making film. 
they invented the camera, they actually could have totally won that whole market, disrupted it. Why isn't Kodak the smartphone company? They should have mm -hmm. been because mm -hmm. everyone had the Kodak. You remember the yeah. old uh, Kodak phone? I mean, we we carried that brand with us everywhere, but they didn't. You know, the, the thing that is important with these companies is they are going to face an existential threat all the time. Well, one thing Larry Page said a while back that I thought was very interesting. You know, Google, amazing company. He said several years ago, he said, you know what? The cell phone, the phone, the smartphone is an existential threat to my company. If I don't do something about it, I will go out of business. What did he do? Went and bought Android, and now Android's the largest you know, mm -hmm. cell phone platform. You, you have to think in that way. So moving out of my paradigms to an overused word, but but really being proactive about what I think I'm doing versus what am I doing in the future. All the companies who say they're now data companies, we're all analytics companies. Well, I mean, basically, you have to sit there and say, okay, if I would, if I got X company today, and mm -hmm. someone started in my business, you know, now, and I'm let's say I'm 10, 15 mm -hmm. years old, what would I do to put me out of business? Because what they got to realize is people are constantly looking at your established you know, mm -hmm. business and saying, how can I put you out of business? I remember sitting in a room with the head of the New York Times and a couple of guys from Silicon Valley and the guys looking at him going, I don't think you can monetize news in the future. And this is the head of the new, new publisher of the New York Times. That's where he's made, you know, his whole life, yeah. all of his livelihood. Well, mm -hmm. guess what? He's pretty much right. It's really hard to monetize news. Now, New York Times is doing fine, but it's really hard to monetize news for everybody else. And, and so what you have to do is you have to say to yourself, constantly, what is that existential threat? And if I was going to put myself out of business, how would I do it? And then as a leadership person, how do I shift my mindset so that I am constantly thinking about that and updating my thinking so that keeping my company alive and as an industry leader becomes my objective? Yeah, I mean, basically what you got to do is you got to say, okay, what is working today will not work tomorrow. So mm -hmm. what do I have to be doing today to make tomorrow happen? If I want to be in the same... If I want to be in business. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, think about how many businesses... You look at the top 10 businesses in the world, six or seven of them did not exist 20, 25 years ago. And what they do didn't exist. Right. You know, right. coming out of Wang, gone. Right. I mean, Wang invented WYSIWYG uh, computing. They're the ones mm -hmm. that invented, you know, what we know as Windows computing today. And where are they? Gone because they didn't really take full advantage of it. So on that note, as our listeners, I encourage you to think about what organizations you've worked with, worked for, or been a customer of that have gone away. And what does that mean for your industry right now? Mark's given a lot of examples of industries that have changed or are changing. What's going to be happening in your industry in the next five years? Is it possible for a business to come out on top and be changed for the good after a disruption? No, I, I absolutely think so. I mean, I think, you know, there, there's lots of examples of folks. I mean, again, I, you know, we all we talk about some of the, the great uh, tech companies. Take a look at Microsoft, for example. I mean, Microsoft was in a world I heard about 10 years ago when cloud computing really started to happen. And all the applications were going from, you know, PC-based to being cloud-based. And they were they were getting hurt really badly by by Google and several other folks. And then Satya came in and totally reversed mm -hmm. the company because you know Bill did a great job taking it to that level. Steve, who has you know been mm -hmm. there since the very beginning, Steve Ballmer, mm -hmm. didn't advance the company, and the company fell behind. And they had to totally 
reconstruct that company. And you look at Microsoft now, I think it's, it, there was a period, a couple month or two ago, they were the most valuable company in the, in the world again. So you can do it. It's just, you've got to be very diligent a, about doing it. And such as doing some amazing things. Yeah. And globally dealing with big issues. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, there's a lot of great examples, I mean, of folks being able to go, go in there. I mean, IBM is, is another good example. I mean, IBM mm -hmm. almost went out of business several times, but now they're, they reemerged more of a services and AI company, but they're doing some, I mean, still a very large, very important company. And they were almost the Kodak. Yes. And passing on PCs and... Uh, and all that stuff. And then, you know, they came up with, basically it's all the AI and it's a lot of the cloud stuff and mm -hmm. a lot of the uh, managed services stuff. And now they're, you know, they're obviously, and also, I mean, you know, we have, you know, Nancy Kramer here in Columbus mm -hmm. was recently bought by IBM XI, which is their their digital content creation, digital creation business. Mm -hmm. And that's a multi-billion dollar business in and of itself. I mean, to think that IBM's in the creative business, I, it's just mind blowing to me, but there, it's a big creative studio and place as well. Actually, one of my friends was interviewing to be part of the Watson team. And yeah, it's a complete shift and a good example of maybe a best practice in an, in an organization that hit the precipice right. and were able to jump the chasm or whatever. Exactly. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's lots of examples. I mean, we, we you know, there's a lot of examples of companies that didn't make it and, and like, like the Codex. I mean, people forget, for example, Microsoft Excel that we all know as our, the spreadsheet. Well, they were the third one. VisiCalc created it, went out of business. Mm -hmm. Lotus 123 created it, got by, by, I think it was IBM and then went out of business. And then of course now Excel is the dominant player in that space. But you know, for example, they were threatened by Google Sheets and people are trying to do things there as well. So you can never, ever, ever rest on your laurels. I was a financial analyst early in my career at Unisys and we lived on Lotus 123. One, two, yeah, absolutely. That, that was the foundation of everything we did. So can you give some other best practices that you've seen in businesses that have used disruption to their advantage? So we've talked about IBM, talked about Windows and Microsoft. Again, I, I have to only go from, from my, my different experiences. Most of my, my experiences are in the tech world. So I, I think a great example also is Apple. I mean, Apple was basically almost out of business when Steve got, came back in, mm -hmm. in, uh, in the early 90s. 93, 94. I mean, they were literally 90 days from bankruptcy because basically, you know, Windows dominated the PC world. They didn't adopt. They kept a very, they, they were the only uh, PC company that was a vertically operated with the operating system doing everything mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. Steve comes in and says, no, we got to, we got to think about this thing differently. We're offering too much stuff. We need to focus, 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 focused on, created the iMac, created all these other, you know, very specific things. Mm -hmm. And then quite frankly, got lucky. Okay, but the way you get lucky in a disruptive world is you got to be open to trying new things. So how did Steve get lucky? He had on the early iMacs or and some of these other ones, he, there was this new technology called FireWire. It was the ability to transfer a, amount, a large amount of data. In those days, it was either serial or parallel data. This is before USB, right? Mm -hmm. And so he came up with FireWire. It was a very expensive port in the side of the community. He says, "No, this is we got to do this." Well. About a year into it, no one could figure out, no one was using it except for the very high-end video guys mm -hmm. where Max, mm -hmm. a lot of Macs were. Anyway, he goes to Japan because he wanted to see some of the latest and greatest, and Hitachi shows him a five megabyte drive that can fit in the palm of your hand. The old thumb drive? It was actually, it was a fully spinning drive. Oh, really? And 
simultaneously, this is the same time when, uh, if you remember, Napster was taking off. Oh, yeah. All this sh song sharing was taking mm -hmm. off. And he goes, I could make the ultimate Napster player by, I'll connect it into my FireWire mm -hmm. port. It will be an external disk drive for the computer for putting files around. But I can actually create, and that was the birth of the iPod. Okay? Wow. And so and the that iPod changed music forever. Ever. Okay? And it was purely accidental. Okay? And then, of course, the iPod begat the iPhone, and the rest is mm -hmm. history. It's not mm -hmm. a trillion dollar company. And so, what you always have to do in a, in a large corporation, you have to be willing to make decisions that may not logically seem right for now, but then they could impact you greatly in the future. And one thing we always say in our business is the best companies, the best long-standing companies are founder-led companies. I mean, you look at here locally in, uh, in Columbus, you look at L Brands. I mean, mm -hmm. they've gone up and down over yeah. the years, but Les Wexner, because he's the founder of it and the CEO of it, he has been able to weather it. You know, you, you look at Larry Page at Google even, you look at Steve Jobs at Apple, you look, I mean, mm -hmm. these are Jeff Bezos at Amazon, Larry Ellison at Oracle. Mm -hmm. These guys can weather the storm because they have the, for lack of a better term, intestinal fortitude to do what they think is right and not always follow the status quo. I think that's a really good point. So what makes those leaders, how did they get there? And you know some of them personally. Take Les, for example. Why did he create Pink? Because he sat down one day and said, okay, how would I disrupt Victoria's Secret? The way I disrupt Victoria's Secret, I would get when get them when they're girls, when they're 14, 15, mm -hmm. 16, 17, 18, get them hooked on something else, and then you know take them into the next level. Okay, it's embarrassing that you know more about this than I do. <laughs> uh, Les is a very good dear friend, so Les and I talk about these things all the time. But he sat down and said, oh, that's how I would disrupt my, my mm -hmm. business, mm -hmm. okay? Simultaneously, remember, he used to be in the department store business. Mm -hmm. That's okay? where he started, right? That's where he started, with, with limited brands. Well, he got out of the department store business, I don't know, was it eight years ago, nine years mm -hmm. ago? So he said, department stores are in trouble. I got to go to uh, focus on specialty retail. That's where he started the company. That was the original brand, and he had the guts to get rid of. It was 80% of his company, it, right? At one time, yes. It was a mm -hmm. big thing. He got, mm -hmm. had the guts to get rid of that and mm -hmm. focus on the future. And I, I think, you know, like the example I said with Larry Page. Larry Page is another great example. I mean, started with, you know, it was a web browser. It was a browser company, yeah. Google was, right? Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, mobile, he thought, well, man, we're going to have a lot of searches on mobile. We better figure this thing out. Great to Android. Mm -hmm. You know, Android starts to, you know, is taking off. And then all of a sudden, Amazon comes with cloud. And they go, holy crap, any cloud is coming down. we got to do something. So now they create Google Cloud. And so and Google Drive and all that stuff. So you got to have somebody who's constantly saying, everyone out there is trying to put me out of business. I do not, does, the leader needs to know, they have no right to be in business, okay? The only thing they have the right to be is to provide a solution that customers understand and, and will pay for and they can create gross margin on. Mm -hmm. Well, that changes all the time and you need to understand before all that changes to really advance your company for the future. So thinking of my old finance world, the sunk costs, the idea that I have invested my career in creating something does not mean it should live on. No, it's like you got to clean the basement every once in a while. 
Yeah, you, you, you gotta I mean, clean the whole house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, you just gotta purge. And the way I look at it is, I, you know, I just I go back to Larry Page because I think he thinks about it. What's the existential threat on my company? Okay, and if I do not address that existential threat, I will not be in business. Okay, and that's the way you need to look at it. That's it's very important. I think these companies. What happens? You know, everyone talks about the serial entrepreneur. There are very few serial entrepreneurs because once you did it once and you had a lot of success, you just remember what you did that time for success and you try to repeat what you did that time. Well, the world's totally changed. There are very few serial. I mean, Elon Musk is probably the closest to a successful serial entrepreneur of anyone I've ever met. Mm -hmm. Okay. He started a company, sold a compact for several hundred million dollars. He then goes and starts a company called X.com. It almost fails, but he combines it with Max Levchin's company. And they create PayPal. PayPal is a huge success, makes a whole bunch of money. And but he, he lost a bunch of money a, a whole he, bunch of he times. Lo he lost everything. He almost went bankrupt with SpaceX and with Tesla. He got lucky that the government gave him a loan for Tesla. Tesla then finally takes off, and we all know what he's done with SpaceX. But he's remade himself. He's the only guy that I know has made four in a row super valuable multi-billion dollar company. There's, there are very few people like that. Well, and you talk about intestinal fortitude. He put his entire fortune on the line. Exactly. And my guess is he's been through a few marriages in the process. Uh, and yes, yes. It's, he, a, it's tough, man. It, you got you to gotta put yourself on the line. It's hard, hard, hard work. And a spouse who has become accustomed to that lifestyle may not be so excited about Bankruptcy. Well, you know, what's interesting is, you know, we we see a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, everyone, you know, it's been funny being back here in the Midwest because the Midwest folks will use a term like, oh, they're wet behind the ears. They, they're young. They don't know this. The average age of our founders is about 25 to 26. Why? Because they don't know how to fail. They don't know what failure is. And on top of that, they don't have a mortgage. They usually don't have a spouse. They don't have kids. They mm -hmm. have, so they can put all their energy into making that thing mm -hmm. happen. And so once you get to those 30s and 40s, you have a lot of responsibilities and you have significant others and you got kids and you got college degrees and all that kind of stuff. And you can't take that same sort of risk. So a guy like Elon mm -hmm. Musk is very unique to be able to take that kind of risk. In fact, I started my company when I left a job exactly. and got divorced at the same time. Yeah. So I had time. Yeah. And well, the best time, I mean, my first company, CKS, which was a huge success only happened because I got fired from my job before. Best thing ever happened was getting fired. I go, holy crime, I just got fired. What am I going to do? <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? I got a wife. I got two kids. I go, what am I going to do? You know, and we figured it out, you know, and, and sometimes desperation is a very good uh, stimulus to, uh, to, to do special things. Yeah. <laughs> so what else do you want our listeners to be thinking about best practices, disrupt or be disrupted? Well, I think the one thing you have to be is you have to be curious. People get kind of in a rut. You got to be curious and always looking around the corner and have multiple in different interests. Interests. I think the guy, the, the the folks that are the best at looking at how they will be disrupted are the ones mm -hmm. that are curious about what's happening in and around them. They don't get stuck in a specific area is very, very important. And I think the other thing is to surround yourself with people. I mean, this is, you know, we all know this, yes people. You don't want to have a yes man or yes woman. You want to have someone that's going to challenge your thinking constantly. Because one thing that's funny about my business, I'm in the venture capital business, and I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have a, a fair amount of success. 
but I have had significant more failure than success. Because in the venture capital business, 60% of the companies we invest in go out of business. But it creates this very interesting phenomenon. When I'm sitting at a table with my partners, and I'm pounding the table saying, this is going to be the next LinkedIn, or this is going to be the next this, that, or <laughs> the other thing. Yeah. In the back Maybe. of my head, I know there's a 60% chance it will, it's going to fail and we're lose all our money. So I need to have my partners around me to tell me why that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And by the way, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, but you need to have those sort of folks to ask the super hard questions so that you don't fall, for lack of a term, fall in love with whatever you're mm-hmm. doing right now because you got to be able to get out of yourself because that's the only way you actually disrupt what's going on. So as I listen to that, I think of our competency model and one of the competencies is intellectually versatile. So mm-hmm. I don't just focus on my thing. I have to focus on tangential at a minimum, right. if not completely disconnected. Right. Professional humility, more interested in getting it right than being right innately collaborative. I have to work with people who see the world differently than I do and find ways to gather their input and synthesize. I think the best CEOs have zero answers but know how to ask spectacular questions because it, it's really about that. You, you need to be able to form the questions and listen to different people's answers because the way I look at it, you know, we were talking about John Kasich. I, you know, I'm a good friend of his, but I also thought he was an exceptional governor because what he would do is he was trying to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. He would ask a whole bunch of people that mm-hmm. question. He would distill all the different answers and then he would make the decision. Mm-hmm. But he had asked the right question, got enough feedback from enough different people so that he could then make the most intelligent decision possible. I have actually presented to him years ago, but because he asks people for their input, they feel heard. Yep. And even though he doesn't do what everyone wants, because he's looking across sure. the horizon at all kinds of different attitudes, that ability to synthesize and have people feel like they participated Absolutely. is an amazing trait that that there's not too much I have to ask everyone everything before I go to the bathroom or I ask no one anything and I'm just a dictator right that ability to have the right amount of input synthesize it and have people then follow me well you get much better people that way because if, if people feel like they're being listened to and their opinions are being heard then they, they want to work with that person this is Mark Kwame and Maureen Metcalf and we are talking about disrupt or be disrupted So, Mark, what are some ideas businesses can implement to minimize the chance they're caught unaware by a business disruption? And you've given the example, always ask the question, who can disrupt me? Or how do I disrupt myself? Well, I mean, I think basically that's that's the core of it. But I also said you need to be curious because it's hard to know when and where disruption is going to come from. And I think you need to be curious about multiple different areas. And so, for example, we were talking about Les. Les talks about he's in the fashion business, but he'll actually go to grocery stores to see what colors are emerging on the grocery aisle. He'll go to, mm-hmm. you know, different malls to see what different patterns are. You've got to go out. I mean, he, he made a big business at L Brands by visiting Europe and 
mm-hmm. and predicting which brands would be over, which styles would be here in the United States, mm-hmm. following what's happening in whether it's in uh, Europe or Brazil or other places. What you've got to be able to do to look around the corner is you've got to be open to looking at lots of different things. And by the way, it's kind of like uh, the Steve Jobs story and the iPod is, you know, he was looking at this technical thing, but then he could piece these things together and create the iPod through the FireWire port. And so if you don't if you don't think about things and have a curiosity about how things can work versus how they're working today, then I think that is a that's a huge trait you need to have to to understand how to lead your teams through disruption. So I hear not only curiosity but an ability to synthesize. Yes. Cuz there were kids are curious. Yep. But they're not necessarily not necessarily some do mm-hmm. inventing new solutions. Right. Yep. So how does curiosity look in your life? For me, I'm a scanner. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly looking at things. I'm constantly, great example, coming here to Ohio. So I come here to Ohio. I'm a venture capitalist. I've spent my whole life in Silicon Valley. I literally landed here, funny story. I landed here in January. So it's a little colder here than it is in California. Didn't have the clothes for it. And I said, uh, weekend, I had no car, I had nothing. So I actually said, oh, I'll just walk to the grocery store. Well, I didn't realize it was 12 degrees outside and I was not properly attired. I <laughs> almost froze. <laughs> I almost froze to death on the on the on, on the way there. But my my point is is that you need to be curious enough to go try crazy things. And mm-hmm. I always I the way I, I the way I look at it is is when, when I came to Ohio, I knew nothing about it. But then I talked to a lot of people, talked to mm-hmm. a lot of business leaders, talked to a lot of education people, obviously a lot of people in government. And I, I got started to develop this picture of this place that was totally different than what was in my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm taught in Silicon Valley that we're the hippest, coolest place. You, If you're a tech company, you gotta be here. This is cool, this is the best. Well, you come here and you go, oh my gosh, there's some brilliant people here. Oh my gosh, look at these companies, these huge companies that could really benefit from this technology. Oh my gosh, all the customers here, 150 of the Fortune 500 are here. So if we can create a venture capital firm that allows these entrepreneurs to stay here and grow their companies here, they're going to have a leg up. We have this idea that it's more important to be close to the customer than close to the technologist. And that little insight has allowed us to create some very, very large companies very quickly in our portfolio. And because we're, what, 150 miles from two-thirds of the country or something Yeah, like we're that? 300 miles. We're a one-day car drive. Okay. We're a one-day car drive from almost 60% of the GDP and 60% of the population of America. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to take your pulse on what's really happening. And stay close to your customers. Yes, yes. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg moved Facebook to Silicon Valley primarily for access. He didn't need the money necessarily. Mm -hmm. He he needed access to network engineers to help him build his infrastructure. And so that's where all they – he had to build all that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Well, thank goodness for our friend Jeff Bezos – in 2005, six came up with the idea of cloud computing and this whole idea that I can have with a credit card and an internet connection access to the most amazing technology on the planet and I didn't have to be next to technologists to do that anymore. So that means I can be in Columbus, Ohio, build an amazing technology company. All the core tech is up in the cloud. I just have to program the application and understand whatever that business model is. I don't have to go out and hire all these network engineers to build my infrastructure. Well, and with that, I can have people working around the globe. Exactly. That's the other neat thing is you're seeing a lot more distributed teams. You're seeing a lot more distributed uh, technologies. The cloud has allowed you to create a technology called GitHub. 
And GitHub is all the open source programmers publish all of their code so that they can work faster and better. So they can actually assemble programs very, very rapidly. Cloud computing allowed, it was kind of like the equivalent of what Facebook did for a billion people on Facebook, communicating together, communicating ideas, both mm -hmm. positive and negative. But cloud computing allowed us to do that from a compute perspective and allowed us to more, very much more rapidly increase the speed of technological innovation and technology, technological disruption. So let's move on to the next question. Say I'm a company that's getting disrupted. What's the best piece of advice you give me now that it's in my face? I think the key thing is you have a, what, what would you do if you have a large gaping wound? You gotta figure out how to stop the bleeding. Mm -hmm. And so you've gotta, you gotta move fast. Okay. Uh, you got to move. I mean, for example, when Steve Jobs went back to Apple, Apple was bleeding money. It was almost out of business. He took out, I think, 60 or 70% of the products and said, no, we're only going to do the iMac. We're going to do the Tower Mac, and we're going to do this, you know, and the, and the laptop. I think got rid of everything else. Focus, focus, mm -hmm. focus, focus, focus. Uh, know what you're really, really good at and what you're, what you're differentiated. So first you have to stop the bleeding. Okay? And this is the whole sunk cost thing. Yes. Just, hey, yeah, great. We're doing that. Great. It's a... $20 million business, $50 million. Let's get rid of it because it, it just it, it takes time and effort mm -hmm. and it's a, it's, a, it's a boat anchor. So first you have to stop the bleeding. Then once you've stopped the bleeding, then you got to sit down and say, okay, how am I going to grow this company? What are the assets that I have? Where are the markets that are applicable for this growth? And how do I then take it to, to the next level? And then after that, once you start that, then you have to ask the question, how do I continue that growth and disruption? Mm -hmm. And so I think the key thing is, is really, really understanding. I mean, we'll use Apple's example. So they, they took a whole bunch of stuff away. They understood who their, remember the Think Different campaign? Mm -hmm. They realized their core customer was the creative professional. They said, okay, we're going to think different. We're going to focus on the creative professional, the, the person who thinks outside the box. We're going to focus on them. It's 10, 15% of the population. Get our sales back up. Okay, great. We do that. We stop the bleeding. Oh, now we need to innovate. That's kind of when the iPod came on. And then, mm -hmm. they, oh, now we got to innovate some more. Oh, that's when the iPhone idea came on. Now you know, that created, you know, iPhones, I think, 60, 70% of our business. And so that's how you have to think about things. So as a person running a company, if I'm seeing this disruption happen, stop the bleeding. Yep. Cut loose whatever I need to, Whatever's to keep Whatever's not alive. working. Okay. And that's what Les did with L Brands. Yeah, exactly. Well, and uh, not that it wasn't working, but he preemptively... Just, you have to preemptive because it, it, if it's, it's still taking time. It's still taking intellectual horsepower. It's still taking mm -hmm. resources. You've got to get that off so you can focus on what's tomorrow, not focus on what happened yesterday. So the other thing I hear in that is if my ego is attached to the size of the company, right. I'm dead. Yes. So rationalize, shrink it down, do the core, and untangle my identity from used to, was, billion, whatever number of customers or dollars or where I sit on the Fortune 500. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys think they, they get all excited. They're a big old battleship. They need to become a PT boat. They need to be a speed boat. They need agility because the market's changing so rapidly. If you don't have agility, you've got to get rid of all the... I'm going to use these with too many analogies, but the barnacles on your, you know, on that. You got to really focus on being fast and efficient. So that raises a question. Say I run a, a large company, and we can pick a few here in Columbus, but I don't want to throw out names. Mm -hmm. Fortune 15, Fortune 25. Is there a way that I can be agile and large? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite guys, a guy named um, is Tom uh, Feeney over at uh, Safelight Autoglass. Yeah. They have 60% of the windshield replacement business. Mm -hmm. And he's actually one of the most innovative companies and CEOs in, in, in the area. And you say, well, wait a second. All they're doing is replacing windshields. I say, Tom, why are you investing all this time and energy innovation? He says, Mark, let me tell you a scenario. Autonomous vehicles. If they're autonomous vehicles and the car can then just drive itself to the dealership and the dealership can replace the windshield and I'm totally out of business. I go, oh, I hadn't thought about that. So now <laughs> he's doing all these other things to mm -hmm. say, okay, I'm going to be in the claims business. I'm going to be in this business. I'm going to be in that business. I'm surrounding. He's got this core you know, business in, in, in auto glass repair, but he's now surrounding with all these other capabilities that have a lot more lasting power mm -hmm. and understanding that there's a chance one day that his business is going to be totally disrupted. Well, autonomous cars don't even need windshields, do they? Well, people like to look outside of windows usually. <laughs> so, and I think we're a long way away from the fully level five autonomous cars. But, you know, level even level four cars could drive to the dealership to, or drive anywhere to get to, to get mm -hmm. replaced. So, I mean, you, you just have to. Th and again, that's a simple business, somewhat simple business. Mm -hmm. But you just got to think about it that way. What I, I go back to what I said the very first segment. What's the existential threat against my company, and how do I prepare for that? So final question. I feel like a game show host. Uh, what advice would you give companies who think that their technology or process will disrupt the current market to unseat the current market leaders? So d the flip of the last, you just got disrupted. Now you've got the disruption, other than they should call you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely call us, uh, marketdrivecapital.com. What you want to do is you need to realize, though, we've been talking about disruption and all the things that can have these big companies. Well, these big companies do have momentum. They do have moats. They do have brand presence. They do have customer mm -hmm. relationships. Mm -hmm. They have. It's actually really hard to build a big business. So what you need to do is the things we tell our entrepreneurs is the number. Their companies have three basic hurdles. The first hurdle is can you build a product? Can mm -hmm. you just build something? You know, hire folks. Can you put it together? You build something. Next hurdle is. Can you find product market fit? And usually that's found with, can you find 10 customers willing mm -hmm. to pay you money on a high gross margin? And usually it's the founder selling it, okay? Yeah. The founder, president, whatever, mm -hmm. selling it. The third hurdle, in my opinion, is the hardest hurdle. And that's the hurdle that all these big companies have got to a long time ago, is can you scale it? Mm -hmm. And so in order to scale it, you've got to be able to have a real moat around it. What's special and unique? The other thing we tell startups is, you have to be 10 times better than the incumbent. Two times better, three times better, five. No, you have to be 10 times better. So if your product comes in the market and it's not 10% of the cost, uh, or, or you know, if you look at 10% of the value proposition, then you will not work. It mm -hmm. has to be 10 times better. If you're three times better, they can, you know, the big company can maneuver around you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So as the world around is, is constantly changing through innovation and transformation, businesses must keep a pulse on how the future changes and unexpected events can affect their business segments. Yeah. yeah, no, so I mean, the one thing, for example, we talked about, I think in the next five years, we're gonna have radical change, mm -hmm. is this whole idea of what's happening around artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. So what is artificial intelligence? Yeah, artificial intelligence is basically machine learning. Machines now can do things better, faster, and cheaper than humans. And so what you've got to sit down and say is, how do I harness the power of artificial intelligence? And how do I do that? 
I have all the data. I have all the information. So how do I take the information and my data that I have in my current long-standing enterprise and put that into a machine-forward way so that I can then compete against all these other guys that are using the latest and greatest mm -hmm. tech and compete against them? So that's is the way I look at it. The next five years, what's going to happen is I call it the thinking machine. The thinking, you got to be able to figure out how your business can operate with and utilize a thinking machine better than your, any, any competitor out there. It would be fun to do another segment on that from yes. your perspective. So as we think about businesses being disruptors, you as business leaders must become the disruptor of your own industry. If you're not paying attention, you will lose a valuable opportunity to maintain your industry position and stay in business. So Mark, how would people find you mm -hmm. if they want to be that disruptor. Mark at drivecapital.com. I actually answer all my emails. So sometimes it takes me a little bit longer than other times, but don't hesitate to, to drop me a note and I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible. Great. And for our listeners, we'd love to hear your feedback. Either email me, info at innovateleader.com. I am on Facebook, Innovating Leadership, and I'm on LinkedIn. Connect with me directly, Maureen Metcalf, and just put in the comments that you're a listener, and I would be happy to respond, connect to you, and give me your thoughts. Who do you want to hear more of? Maybe more of Mark. And I would leave you with the question, what are you doing to disrupt yourself, your thinking, and your organization so that you can continue to thrive as you go forward? Thank you for listening. Thank you.